0: Well, Stanford football and Willie Nelson have at least one thing in common. They're on the road again and again and again next week. And who knows what happens after that? Such is college football in 2020, but the Stanford Cardinal are on the road for the rest of the way. and Let's see how it all turns out starting this weekend in Seattle as we break it all down on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Glad to have you with us. It is Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. Thank you so much for being here with us. A lot to do as we get you ready for Stanford at Washington. Looking forward to catching up with our special guest this week, a guy who knows a lot about the Washington Huskies, as he is a TV sports anchor for Q13, the Fox affiliate up in Seattle. And oh, by the way, he's a Stanford guy too. Aaron Levine, another member of the Stanford Sports Media Mafia. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on uh, and his perspectives on what we could possibly see this upcoming Saturday afternoon between the Cardinal and the Huskies. You'll hear a lot from David Shaw. You'll hear a lot of the breakdown of the matchup, and you'll also hear a mind-blowing statistic. So we have a lot to do on this episode of the show. Who am I? Glad you asked. I'm Troy Clarity. Great to have you with me. Follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last name spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y at Troy Clarity. And of course, this is my 28th season of following Stanford sports. Also a Pac-12 Network play-by-play announcer across six sports. So looking forward to. Seeing what could be to come this Saturday afternoon, 1 p.m. kickoff at Husky Stadium. Quiet, well, relatively quiet Husky Stadium anyway. They'll have the, the crowd noise pumped in, but it, it won't be like 70,000-plus like it normally is in Seattle. I think that was a factor for Stanford and Berkeley. Will it be a factor for the Cardinal in uh, Seattle? Well, 1-2 Cardinal on the road against the 3-0 and Washington Huskies. We'll get you three things you need to know around Stanford athletics in just a brief moment. But, of course, this reminder, the NFL season – and college football, both in full swing. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino, it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics. And uh, we truly mean around Stanford Athletics because more than just football is in the news this week. And not for anything on the field, let's start with number one. <laughs> and I'm sure as many of you are aware, Santa Clara County issued new guidelines concerning COVID-19 safety. And those guidelines, barring contact sports at all levels until at least December 21st, that also applies to the professional and collegiate sports teams in Santa Clara County. Obviously, widespread widespread effects across Stanford Athletics. During his weekly presser on Wednesday morning, David Shaw, the Cardinal football head coach, gave his reaction to that news and that development from the football perspective.
1: The county of Santa Clara. And their efforts to stem the tide of this this virus uh, made a decision uh, to, to try to save lives, to try to uh, help uh, help the people in this community. So uh, our student athletes have worked extremely hard and have been through a lot. From last March, when they we couldn't finish spring football, uh, I guess it was March or into April. I can't remember what month it was anymore. It was maybe this month. it was March. Talk to our student athletes. Uh, and they want to play. So, very grateful to President and Provost uh, Marc tessier Levine and Kirsty uh, um to find an avenue for us to continue to play.
0: And that avenue ahead is this Stanford football left for Seattle on Tuesday to train for Saturday's game at UW. Then next week, they plan to set up camp in Corvallis for the game against the Beavers on December the 12th. That game was originally supposed to be Stanford's scheduled home finale at Stanford Stadium. And really, who knows what the plus one week will look like to close out the season on December the 19th. No one seems to know what that's going to look like at this point. More on football in a bit. What about men's and women's hoops? Well, after their game on Wednesday morning, I asked Stanford men's basketball head coach Jared Hass, what's next for his squad?
2: Great question. Uh, I don't have an answer yet. Um, we're going to go back to the hotel right now and feed the guys and uh, continue developing our game plan. Um, I'm hoping that we have uh, something more concrete. Uh, I don't think anything's really going to be in, con- in concrete uh, for a while now. So maybe in pencil, we'll have something more in pencil coming up but uh, hopefully we can have that answer to you soon but not not yet
0: so perhaps we get some more clarity on that situation by the time you hear this as of right now as i say this on wednesday evening we know this the men will stay in north carolina they'll aim to play up to four more non-conference games while they're there the location of their december 19th game against arizona will be adjusted from maples and stanford's three non-conference home games against cal poly loyola marymount and sacramento state have been scuttled, and there may not be any guarantees about Stanford's game at USC on December 13th. Let's see how things happen in Southern California and how those things develop. Meanwhile, women's basketball was supposed to start Friday versus Washington State at Maples. Obviously, that isn't happening. No word as I say this on if. When and where that game, along with the game against the Washington Huskies also for this weekend, will be played. Now, we do know this. Number two Cardinal will head to Las Vegas to play UNLV this Saturday. Their current head coach, former Stanford assistant and student athlete, Lindy LaRocque, who just took that job a few months ago. But the rest of the schedule for the next few weeks is in flux. That's the same for Stanford men's basketball, Stanford football to some extent as well. Stay tuned much more to come I'm sure in the weeks ahead let's get to number two well Stanford men's hoops at the Maui Invitational in Asheville North Carolina the Cardinal wrapping up uh, that portion of competition on Wednesday morning they had an impressive opener against Alabama on Monday an 82-64 win Zaire Williams the big time freshman 19 points and eight rebounds A close call against number 14, North Carolina. That was a 67-63 loss. Stanford led by five with seven minutes to go, but they committed several turnovers down the stretch and didn't hit a shot over the final 4-16. Stanford actually led by six early in the second half after a steal and a slam by Zaire, but he got called for a bogus technical foul and really changed the trajectory of that game. Stanford losing against North Carolina, and then they just ran out of gas on Wednesday morning against Indiana in the third-place game. Hoosiers with a 79-63 win. Stanford scored the first four points, but then the Hoosiers went on an 11-0 run and they were never never seriously threatened after that. Jared Hass sums up the experience in Asheville. Yeah,
2: everything right now is a learning opportunity Um, before this tournament. Obviously, we didn't have exhibitions or scrimmages or officials, and um, this was a a learning environment for our team right now and see how we played together. Obviously, uh, the first game, you know, to be honest with you, a few of the shots went in and everything looked looked a little bit better. I thought we competed hard yesterday, although uh, offensively we struggled at times. uh, And those offensive struggles continued today. Uh, Zaire in particular, he's gonna learn. He's gonna learn uh, quickly about, uh, you know, the physicality of the college game and just the nuances that we can help him with as well. I think he will have a ton of success. Uh, I know he's eager and willing to uh, grow and learn and we're gonna help him do that.
0: Yeah, Monday night after the Alabama game, I was checking Twitter and there were a lot of folks to anoint Zaire Williams as for real. And he probably is, he probably will be, but let's get more of a body of work for him and more of a body of work for the team before we start making any grand generalizations. Now that's being said, I thought that Alabama game, and I said this on Twitter myself, I thought that Alabama game was a really good start. Then again, good starts for this program haven't necessarily been the problem, have they? Stanford one and two, and now they're off to, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens, what they're up to next. Let's finish things up with number three. And congratulations to Stanford football defensive end Thomas Booker. Not only did he cement his place in big game lore with his blocked extra point to beat the Bears last week, He also won Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week honors. You might remember that extra point. Preserved Stanford's 24-23 win with 58 seconds to go. We talked a lot about Stanford's commitment to special teams on the post-big game episode. I highly suggest you check it out if you want to relive all of that. Thomas, of course, is getting it done defensively, too. He's had good moments in all three games played by Stanford so far. Really helped to stabilize things along the line of scrimmage for Stanford in that first half against Cal when when the Bears were in some position to really put that game away early. And, of course, he recovered that critical fumble in the second half. So, Thomas Booker having an effective season and now adding some hardware to his mantle. Congratulations to Thomas Booker, the reigning Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week. Those are three things. A more thorough breakdown of Stanford, Washington coming up later, as is our special guest, Aaron Levine, former Stanford alum. We're not a former Stanford alum. He still is. He's got the degree hanging on his wall, I'm sure. But uh, Aaron Levine uh, from uh, Q13, the Fox TV affiliate up in Seattle, I'm looking forward to talking Stanford, Washington, with him. But but more details on on football's situation as they are up in the Pacific Northwest for this week. And next week as well, as they're bunking down in Seattle for this week and uh, likely will be uh, hanging out in Corvallis, getting ready for for their game against the Beavers on December the 12th, as we mentioned. During his weekly media availability, which was on Wednesday morning this week because the team was traveling up to Seattle yesterday, Shaw was asked to take us through the process that led Stanford to head to Seattle early and
1: his immediate reaction when he heard the news. I don't think we have enough time to – let you know all the things that came, not just through my mind, but all the conversations that were had. Uh, I would say this in general, um, our operations staff uh, led by Matt Doyle and Kelly Simon Dale just have been outstanding. Um, by really Friday evening, having an idea what, what the county was was going to, they're very transparent, but what they, they wanted to do, they gave, you know, we all love to have a little bit more of a heads up, um, but They gave gave us an indication of where they were headed. Um, Going into Saturday evening, um, our staff started looking into options and possibilities, whether that was what we did in training camp, um, which is practicing in another county, but staying in Santa Clara County, whether that was moving someplace in California, Northern or Southern in a different county, or that was transplanting to another place. And uh, we had a lot of options um, we we're obviously going to lean on our campus leadership and uh, wanted to present some options uh, to that leadership. And, um, and I know our, our president did have conversations with the president of the University of Washington, what was best for our student athletes in order to uh, really make this game possible. So um, that really went into Sunday and a lot of conversations between our athletic director and our other campus leadership. Uh, to really decide not just what to do, but how, what was feasible, um, all the while understanding that if our student-athletes said we don't want to do this, then we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah, remember a couple of months ago when David Shaw told us, and he was harkening back to his uh, computer science class that he took back in high school, and he told us that he and the program were operating basically on a series of, of if-then statements? I thought that was the most Stanford answer ever, but a lot of those things still at work here. And it's, I I find it intriguing that Shaw noted that Santa Clara County gave Stanford an indication that things might be heading in that direction on Friday evening. Of course, just hours after winning big game. Apparently the County didn't give the 49ers that same heads up based on how Kyle Shanahan, the Niners head coach uh, was acting, but, but that's a different story. So much collaboration among all levels, even up to the university president's office, both on the farm and in Seattle. Now, the Bay Area, you know, doing the same thing they did in training camp, heading over to Woodside and practicing there, and then flying up to Seattle, might not have been a viable option because, because who knows if the other counties, and not just in the Bay Area, but who, who knows if the other counties might follow suit with similar guidelines. Kind of just seems like a matter of time, especially here in the Bay Area. So I'm sure I'm sure the uh, Cal football operations folks are um, have have a lot of uh, options on standby and at the ready. A lot of questions, plenty of challenges, but where many folks might see obstacles in this situation,
1: David Shaw this week sees opportunity. We've got a great opportunity to play the game that we love on national TV against a very good Washington football team. So for me. Hey, let's get there and let's let's prepare and let's go play with a great attitude and mentality and do our best to win. And that's
0: certainly the right attitude to take, right? I mean, I mean, no use getting frustrated, no use throwing tantrums on your radio shows, you know, or anything like that. Uh, you know, you just got to go through it and and get it done and attack it with enthusiasm. I don't know if enthusiasm, unknown to mankind, that guy's got his own problems right now, but I think you get what I mean. So I think David Shaw has the right attitude about this. It's certainly the attitude that he certainly needs to be taking as the head coach. And if attitude is contagious, as many people say, Shaw says that spirit has been embraced in the locker room too.
1: Student athletes are more resilient than we are, right? We have so many anxieties and worries and all these things and a high percentage of the student athletes will look and say, I get to go stay in a hotel and get to play football. All right, let's go, right? You're going to feed me and give me a place to lift weights and uh, uh, allow me to uh, enjoy myself when I have some free time and stay within the rules? Hey, let's go do it. Again,
0: the right attitude. And I'm sure if I'm 20 years old, I'm probably, probably thinking the same thing. Now, some logistics here. Stanford has mentioned travel to Seattle on Tuesday, and they held practice that night at Washington's indoor football facility.
1: How did that happen? Shaw explains, we had no intention of practicing uh, at the University of Washington, but on short notice, trying to find uh, a high school that was available with a lot of high schools that are in session right now and have uh, and using their facilities for for a variety of sports. um, We just couldn't do it on one day notice or a day and a half notice. So. um, Washington. Washington. Say, hey, you don't have a place to practice. We'll give you a place to practice for Tuesday night. We are set for the rest of the week uh, going to various uh, other locations. Um, But, uh, yeah, just just that one night. So the
0: dog's lending a helping hand. Helping paw? Anyway, Shaw didn't reveal which uh, high schools the team is practicing at this week because, uh, not that he didn't want to tell us, but because he just wasn't sure that if he did tell us that that would uh, run afoul of NCAA recruiting rules, which, of course, the NCAA acts like Hawks on. Shaw was asked if they're treating this like a bowl week, and, and he said no mostly because there are no functions to go to. It's not like they have some big luncheons or a big city parade or anything like that. Side note, sad to see the El Paso uh, folks cancel the Sun Bowl this year. Look, El Paso isn't Pasadena, but they do a fantastic job of putting on that event and the hospitality in El Paso pretty much second to none. It was very sad to see uh, that the Sun Bowl is canceled for this year, but I, I understand, especially uh, given how the situation with COVID-19 seems to be down that way. Anyway, Shaw said they're not treating this like a bowl week, but they are able to map out the days ahead pretty easily, and that it also helps that, that classes are done for the fall quarter. So, so Stanford football is making it work, and they're going to have to do so for the foreseeable future. This week in Seattle, next week in Corvallis, and the week after that, who knows? Who knows? One more quick soundbite from David Shaw on this subject that I'd like to I'd like to play for you, as uh, he says, he says this whole situation comes down to two questions.
1: I was on two different committees over the summer and into the fall. Um, these COVID working groups, and we always ask two questions: um, Should we, and can we? And um, the, the should we is always answered by the student-athletes.
0: Now, I'll disagree with Shaw here a bit because the should we
1: part of it
0: shouldn't be answered by the student-athletes. It should be answered by the virus. Of course, the student-athletes want to play. I, I want them to play too. But, and I said this all summer, when we did this every week on the TreeCast, we had no idea which, thing, which direction things were going to take I said this all summer, until we get a handle on this thing, and until our national leadership takes this virus seriously, this isn't about what we want. So the should we part should be dictated by the virus and only the virus. And if you're saying right now that we probably shouldn't be doing this, that's a viable argument. That's a viable argument. But as of right now, the game is on for Saturday afternoon, Stanford versus Washington. Real live football (laughs) expected to be coming your way once again this weekend. Let's talk about it as far as on-field developments. Some personnel notes for Stanford. Cornerback Ethan Bonner, who did not play against Cal, tried to give the go in warm-ups but did not get the green light to participate in the game. Salim turner Muhammad came in in Bonner's stead and had a pretty big impact on that game. Bonner did not make the trip with the team up to, up to the Pacific Northwest, as that injury perhaps a bit more long-term than initially thought. Shaw also noted that a few players chose not to make the trip, including fullback Jay Simmons. Now the other guys who chose apparently not to make the trip, and, and and you know obviously there there were some apparently some limitations on how many guys you can bring. Obviously, travel squad is what 75 if, I'm, if I if if I remember correctly. So you can't you can't bring everyone. But the other players that chose not to make the trip are guys who haven't seen and or weren't expected to see playing time this year. And Simmons uh, was the only guy normally on the two deep who chose not to make the road trip. So just those, uh, those couple of personnel notes for you. Now, when it comes to the Cal game, special teams probably want it for Stanford. The defense had its best performance of the year and the offense did just enough. Can the offense do more, especially against the Huskies? If so, how? Well, on Wednesday, Shaw was asked how he evaluated the offense's day against Cal after getting a chance to to look at the tape, especially considering that, that that was the first time the entire offense had a week to practice together and a day to play together.
1: Your team is better when they can all practice and play together. And that's what I'm looking forward to going forward, hopefully the next few weeks in particular, that we can keep everybody healthy and on the field, uh, we just get better. The way we ran the ball in the second half was a lot like the way that we want to look. Um, the way we threw the ball in the second half the previous week was a lot like the way we want to look. Um, and for us to to really be kind of hopefully gaining some momentum to be the physical running team that we want to be with the uh, high percentage run after catch as well as downfield capabilities on the offensive side. Uh, we've seen a little bit of that uh going forward. I said something to Davis Mills the other day about, you know, we he had 75% completion in the game with two drops and two bad throws. That's great. That's a that's a that's better than we were the week before. Um and now it's making all the throws, making all the catches, and still getting some explosive plays. Combine that with the way that we ran the ball physically in the second half. Hopefully all those things continue to converge the rest of the season where we really start to be the complete offense that we want to be.
0: Yeah, it makes a difference. Makes a difference. And the numbers didn't wow you if you just looked at the stat sheet and, and gathered everything that you knew about about how Stanford did just from just from the stat sheet, which is the wrong way to aco- to, to approach things. But even though the numbers didn't necessarily wow you from Stanford's offensive output against the Bears, you still saw steps. If you actually watched the game, you saw steps forward, particularly in the running game in the second half, though they couldn't quite close it out. Although you can give Cal some credit on that because that is a a pretty good front seven, especially you saw Davis Mills throw some dimes And you saw Michael Wilson and Connor Weddington, the wide receivers with big, big catches. And oh, by the way, you also saw more packages with extra offensive linemen. Remember when Stanford used to do that all the time, when they would trot out six, seven, sometimes even eight offensive linemen on the field at one time? You saw more packages with Stanford running offensive linemen out there, extra offensive linemen out there, particularly with true freshman Miles Hinton. I asked Shaw on Wednesday how nice it is to finally be able to run those extra packages, something we didn't see at all last year because of injuries, and what it could mean for Stanford's offense going forward.
1: Yeah, as most of you know, that was just part of base offense for us. And uh, it's been that way for for 10 years. It's just last year we just had to play the five guys that were healthy. We didn't even have six half the time. Um, we were practicing with defensive linemen, and Tucker Fisk was ready to go in and play tackle if we needed him to. Um, but this year for us to be able to have these guys ready, I mean, we've got really about eight or nine guys that are ready to play. Um, uh, we hope to play, continue to play six, if not seven, um, and, and really start their careers. And that's where, you know, it's a lot of our guys that have been really good here have gotten that taste of football coming in for a couple of plays, very very strict and, and specific role. Um, we think Miles has a chance to be really special And this is just a good way to get him going, get him out there, blocking and being physical. Um, uh, It's been a a luxury that we didn't have last year that we really appreciate.
0: Yeah. And Hinton got called for that holding penalty on third and one. But but still good to see him progress and become a bigger and bigger facet and component of what Stanford wants to do offensively. Now, in some ways, I, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of going with an extra lineman against Cal because of that rugged front seven that the Bears have, and because it's, it's probably a bit tougher to beat those guys in a phone booth than it is to spread them out. But still, that's an extra facet of what Stanford would like to get back to doing on a regular basis. They couldn't do it last year. They only had five healthy offensive linemen at times. Anything that helps Stanford become more aggressively diverse on offense, and we saw that at points against Cal. We saw it at points. I'm in favor of it. Running out of extra offensive linemen, different personnel packages, uh, different concepts, You know, misdirection screens that we saw against Cal. I'm in favor of it. If it helps Stanford become more aggressively diverse on offense. Let's see how diverse Stanford's offense can be against a Huskies defense, which is pretty tough itself. Pretty tough itself. Well, on Sunday on Twitter, I put out my highly unofficial and totally disagreeable Pac-12 power rankings. And at number two, I had the Washington Huskies behind COVID-19. So I guess that's kind of my way of saying that, hey, the Washington Huskies are playing better than any other team in the Pac-12 right now, at least in my opinion anyway. But I still don't quite know what entirely to make of these guys. Well, joining us right now, our special guest on this episode of the TreeCast is someone who knows the Washington Huskies quite well, and someone who knows Stanford quite well, too. He is the sports director at Q13, the Fox affiliate up in Seattle, and he's Stanford-class of 2004. Pleasure to welcome in Aaron Levine. Aaron, thanks a bunch. And as appropriate, we're talking about Huskies. We got, we
3: got the dogs barking up here in Seattle. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, they're 3-0. and They're feeling good. And obviously, Stanford with that big win over Cal last week in big game, thanks to that blocked extra point, really exciting to see as well. Uh, this is the reason I moved up to the Pacific Northwest, knowing that Stanford 13 years later was going to have to stay up here for a full week. Uh, in preparation for a game against the Huskies and then have to stay close to Oregon and Corvallis uh,
0: for their next game next week. So you were perfectly prepared for this. <laughs> it's all led up to this. It's all Absolutely. led up to that moment. Uh, the Huskies, 3-0, and as you mentioned. A close win over Oregon State, maybe some shenanigans with some refereeing and some spotting going on in that game, maybe putting that one in a little bit of dispute, but still a close win for the Huskies. Blew the doors off the hapless Wildcats and took them 30 minutes, but they came on strong and were able to overtake uh, the Utah Utes last week. I'm not quite sure what to make of the Huskies myself, even though they are playing well and they are 3-0. What do you make of the Huskies right now? Well, all of a sudden after that big Oregon
3: State win in the game previously known as a civil war over Oregon last week, Oregon state might be a better team than we originally thought. So that first week win over the Beavers looks pretty good. They blew out Arizona, as you mentioned in week two, I think they were kind of high on their horse going into week three against Utah. They had uh, come off of that blown out blowout win. They have run the ball so dominantly the first couple of weeks that I really believe that they thought they could just run over anybody. And they, Clearly couldn't early on against Utah, and Utah was was really solid early in that game, taking a 21-0 lead at halftime. The fact that they were able to turn it around and chip at that lead, and more than anything, come back thanks to a, freshman, a redshirt freshman quarterback in Dylan Morris, who had thrown three previous interceptions in the game and lead a game-winning 88-yard drive down the field at the end of the game when it meant the most, That says a lot about your really young signal caller who has been very reliant on a three headed attack of a running game so far this year, but they have a defense that can pretty much keep them in games, which they showed in the second half of last week. If the offense Rises to the level and rises to the occasion the way they did last week. I really believe they can beat anybody in this conference.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly those those early returns uh, do seem to indicate that. And and Dylan Morris, the winner of a four man quarterback race. I'm not sure I've ever seen a four headed uh, quarterback race. Uh, you, you kind of hinted at there hinted at it there a little bit. What are some of the early returns on Morris and some things that he's shown so far this year? Well,
2: it's
3: interesting because that first week, he he clearly relied on the running game. And it was a little rainy that week in Seattle. And so I said, listen, week two against Arizona, they're going to let him throw the ball a little bit more. And I guess the final stats didn't necessarily show that. He threw the ball, had one more pass attempt the second week than he did the first week. But it felt like they gave him more chances to do so. And if you go back to game one against Oregon State he had two passes in the red zone that should have been caught by his wide receivers. He's not getting much help from his receiving core right now. They've had a lot of drop balls early on in the year, especially in the first two games. If those guys finally step up, like they did a little bit last week, you saw Puka Nakua step up and then Kate Otten has become his favorite receiver at tight end the last couple of weeks. Those are safety blankets for a young quarterback like Dylan Morris that he has, clearly realized that he can rely on so far this year. I mean, it's also kind of strange that this weekend at Husky Stadium is supposed to be senior night. I mean, it feels like the season just began and all of a sudden they're playing their last home game of the year. Uh, But then again, I mean, you're on a tight schedule this year. You have to learn a lot about your team in a very short amount of time. And I think that's what we learned so far is that Dylan Morris is up or the task in whatever kind of game they want to play that particular night. He can throw the ball, but he also has a dominant running game that he can rely on as well.
0: And as you mentioned, a very good tight end in Otten. I'm very impressed impressed with what I've seen from him uh, so far this season. Uh, Jimmy Lake obviously running the show now his first year as the head coach of the Washington Huskies. Obviously, maybe not as big of a change as it would be if they'd brought someone in from outside the program. uh, As Jimmy Lake knows how things work on Montlake generally. Uh, Any any major noticeable differences with Lake running the show as opposed to when uh, Chris Peterson uh, had the corner office over there? Maybe a little bit
3: extra emotion on the sideline. I mean, there's nothing better than listening to Jimmy Lake's post-game press conference on the field after they came back and won the game last week. You can see how fired up he is. And I think that's something that when he was defensive coordinator, a lot of his players were able to band around. I mean, they loved seeing that emotion from their coordinator at that time. And they're doing the same thing with their head coach. Uh, in terms of style and schematic-wise, I love the fact that he wore the, the hat the other day uh, before last week's game, that said, or two weeks ago, that said, run the damn ball. And then what do they do against Arizona? They came out and threw it a bunch in the first few couple series. So he's got that gamesmanship going on a little bit as well. But at the end of the day, this team is very similar to the Chris Peterson coach team. They want to run the ball, establish the run, be dominant at the line of scrimmage, and have this dominant defense. That's not going to change. I mean, the, the secondary that this group has had for the last few years and the amount of NFL talent that they have been able to churn out Uh, has been really impressive from Buda Baker to Byron, uh, Byron, uh, Byron Murphy, who's now both playing for the uh, Arizona Cardinals and Taylor Rapp, the safety. And now you have Elijah Molden, who's probably the leader of that group this year. Keep an eye on number three. He had an interception last week and he single handedly can keep The Huskies in
0: any game as well. Yeah, I remember a lot of people in the state of Oregon were mad when Holden went up to Washington and of course ZTF, number 58, who's just been wrecking shop uh, so far this year as well. Um, Stanford bunking down in Seattle for the week. They actually practiced uh, at UW on Tuesday evening. They're going to be visiting and practicing at uh, other high schools around the area for the remainder of the week. There are obviously a few Seattle area guys on the team. Connor Weddington, Foster, Sir Two guys that that, that come to mind off the top of my head immediately, but for the rest of the guys, as a Pacific Northwesterner yourself, for the rest (laughs) of the guys, what do they need to know about life in the Pacific Northwest, especially in early December when you got to spend a week there?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be cold this time of year, and it's really no different than the Bay Area, to be honest. People uh, rag us all the time that it rains all the time up here. It's cloudy. It's overcast. I think the forecast this week is pretty much no rain. It's going to be fairly clear and, and dipping down to the 30s at night. I, I would think the Bay Area around January, February is probably about the same thing. So nothing too different, and it. Husky stadium is not going to be rocking on Saturday. So they don't have to worry about that. It might remind them of the quote unquote library that they play in down in Palo Alto at Stanford. (laughs) So it's, it's one of those situations where they might actually feel somewhat at home this weekend because there aren't any fans in the stands Um, and not to say anything against the Stanford crowd, but it's doesn't get very loud down there. And the fact that there's nobody at Husky stadium, Husky stadium and Autzen stadium, I would be say, arguably are the two of the loudest, stadiums in the Pac-12 when it's a full house and the fact that nobody's there is going to be somewhat comforting I believe.
0: Yeah yeah no doubt about that and I think it was noticeable the energy that Stanford was able to bring by itself they had to be their own cheerleaders uh, up in Berkeley over the past weekend when there was no crowd because you can only imagine what that crowd would have looked like and what it would have been like for that game if it had been able to be in the building uh last week for a big game but Stanford yeah, you got to be your own cheerleader and having that experience perhaps maybe push them over the top a little bit in some ways against the Bears. By the way, I'm looking at the forecast for Saturday for Seattle, mostly cloudy and 51 and dry. Okay. So certainly yeah. that is that is very good news. Um, you are a Stanford alum, class of 2004, been doing big things pretty much since the beginning. And you've been in Seattle uh, for quite some time. Uh, KZSU, Stanford Daily, if I remember correctly, as well. Uh, What do you still take with you from the farm? And what have you taken with you from your experiences on the farm throughout your career in sports media to this point? That's a
3: really good question. Um, I always go back to my first year. I mean, I tried out for the men's golf team and was lock on on that team for three weeks. Got to meet Tiger Woods. That was so much fun. But then I got cut from the team three weeks in and uh, my first beat for the Stanford Daily, happened to be men's and women's golf, of all things. So it was to get that experience early on. Uh, I always wanted to be a broadcast journalist, but Stanford doesn't necessarily offer the broadcast side of things in their journalism department. So you're looking at a history major. uh, And I got my experience through KZSU and being the voice of the Stanford women's volleyball team for three seasons, and and also working for the Stanford Daily, traveling with the men's basketball team. It's funny, though, because they treat – When I say the treat, they treat the Stanford athletics programs themselves, treat the student journalists and the student media so well that you almost get a distorted view of what it's like. I mean, to be able to actually travel with some of these teams on the road and sort of be their face and be their voice uh, and be able to write about that team in the style that we were able to do back in 2001, 2002, 2003. And I believe they still do that and are very accommodating. uh, is very interesting because when you get into the regular media world, I mean, you are the outsider. And, uh, you know, the way that media, media is, is portrayed nowadays or viewed nowadays is, is more, of a, uh, more of a contentious relationship uh, between, I and mean, not necessarily, I mean, maybe more in politics than in sports, but obviously you see it in sports sometimes as well. So um, my job here in Seattle has been really fun because... We are the official partner of the Seahawks. We're the official partner of the Sounders. Uh, we're the official partner of the Storm. I mean, look at how well all those teams are doing. The Storm won a WNBA title. They're fourth in franchise history this year. The Sounders are uh, still in it. They are now in the Western Conference Finals this week, going for back-to-back MLS titles. And the Seahawks are 8-3. And, and they won a Super Bowl title back in 2014, 2013 season. But in 2014, I made it to another one the next year. And Pete Carroll's done a heck of a job up here. So it's been a lot of fun. But it's also been great to have those relationships with the players and the coaches because
0: we cover them so often. Yeah, yeah, been a lot of fun. I'm I'm an urban studies major myself, so (laughs) got that that covered. I see that piece of a paper uh, on on your on on your on your wall behind you. Yeah, Yeah. yep, yes, that's history. So there (laughs) it is. (laughs) So that being said, your thoughts, your observances on Stanford football this year so far. Let me start
3: with this. I'm very excited to see what happens at the start of the game this week, because of both teams coming off of really enthusiastic, emotional wins that were determined at the end of the game. When you're on such an emotional high like that coming off of that, it could go one of two ways. I think it normally comes out that both teams are somewhat flat. So it'll be interesting to see who gets the advantage at the beginning of the game this week, specifically to Stanford football this year. It's been, it's been tough to watch a bit because you, you've seen this slow fall from grace over the last couple of years. They have not, unfortunately, been able to be as dominant on the line of scrimmage. I mean, in the Harbaugh and in the first few years of Shaw days, you're running the ball roughshod over your opponents because you have that huge offensive line, because you have those running backs. It's not to say Austin Jones has been fantastic this year uh, in the running game, and it's, they're starting to build that back. Um, in terms of the running game and and be physical at the line of scrimmage. Some things that just drive me crazy about the team, to be honest with you, is is clock management. You go back to the end of the, the Colorado game, and they're making this fantastic comeback, and you're two scores down. Does nobody have any sense of urgency? If you have no timeouts left on the clock, you have to have at least three minutes left on the clock to make those stops at Colorado coming back the other way. By the time they scored that touchdown late in the, in the Colorado game, they didn't have any timeouts left. They couldn't stop the clock and Colorado yeah. runs three plays. And all of a sudden you're, there's 19 seconds left on the clock by the time they're punting. And then they punt to Stanford and Stanford doesn't even fair catch the ball. So that even more time runs off the clock and you're left with nine seconds. So there are certain, we have really smart people on the sidelines. There are very smart people at Stanford in general. What (laughs) drives me crazy about this team sometimes are some of the more common sense things that don't get done. why didn't we have any timeouts left at the end of that game? Was it because what we've seen of so many times is because our offense is so complex and sometimes that the play calls are so complex that the play clock goes all the way down. You have to take the timeout and you come out and you burn timeouts early on. So some of my complaints, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we won big game. We got the ax back. The season could end now and I would be happy. And I think a lot of Stanford (laughs) fans would be too. But there are certain things that drive uh, people uh, like me, I would say, uh, and certain Stanford fans, pretty crazy uh, while we're watching the games.
0: Oh, oh, no doubt, no doubt. And I'm having a flashback to Stanford's last trip to Husky Stadium in which the last-minute drive in which Stanford had a chance to win a game in Absolutely. which they probably had no business winning. but But for some reason, they kept substituting players that kept – uh, that kept Washington having, having, uh, allowed them to have a chance to sub two players on. It was just a whole thing. There is no just, reason, yeah. no reason that KJ Costello should have had to throw
3: a 40-yard Hail Mary into the end zone at the end of that game because that drive was going so well. And because of the substitutions, it took more time off the clock. Yep. Again, I mean, this is a, it's a pattern that's gone on over the last couple of years. And when you're not a dominant team, sometimes that comes back and bites you in the butt unfortunately, because your margin for
0: error is so much smaller. Yes, indeed. As we wrap this up, I think you may have hinted at this a little bit earlier, but your overall things you're going to be watching on, on Saturday afternoon when the Washington Huskies meet the Stanford fighting Aaron Levines.
3: <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned Zeep TF a second ago, and he is an absolute monster on the line. Zion, Tupuola, Fatui, I think I got it right in practicing <laughs> that one. Uh, Ed Defuan, Ulufusio. Those two guys have stepped up more than I can ever expect them to this year. I mean, we were supposed to be talking about guys like Joe Tryon and Levi Onzerike, and they both declared for the NFL draft. And these two other guys have stepped up and they have been dominant forces along the defensive line and also at linebacker. If Stanford can neutralize ZTF, who by the way, has now been named defensive lineman of the week, three straight weeks in the Pac-12, and it's probably a major consideration for defensive player of the year in the Pac-12 at this point. If they can neutralize him, start winning those battles on the line of scrimmage, I think Stanford has a chance. Now, listen, they're double-digit underdogs in this one. I know they're double-digit underdogs against Oregon, but look at that first series against Oregon. They were able to run the ball all the way down the field. Why they didn't stick with it at the one or two-yard line is, is beyond me, but Try and establish that run. See if they can do that early on. That'll only open things up uh, for the passing game. I know Davis Mills hasn't necessarily been completely on target on some of his long throws this year, but he's had guys open. And I'd love to see that connection with, with Fajoco happen a little bit more. Um, use, use the tight ends too. And, uh, and hopefully
0: when it comes to the fourth quarter, they're in the game. So much to watch. Looking forward to watching it all unfold on Saturday afternoon up at One Houston more thing, Stadium. Yes. sir. Uh, Connor Weddington
3: too. I mean, I would yes. get him involved. I mean, listen, local guy. Play, exactly. Play, play in front of his home home crowd, so to speak, here in the Pacific Northwest. I know he wants to have an impact in in, uh, Saturday's game, so I'm excited to see what he can do, too.
0: Yeah, anytime he can be your yardage after the catch guy, uh, Stanford is in position to do big things. Aaron Levine doing big things up in the 206. The last time he and I got a chance to physically hang out was at the Rose Bowl. That was cool. (laughs) I hope our next... 20 years ago right yeah in a lot of ways yes (laughs) but i hope our next time to chat and catch up in person isn't quite that far off you can check him out on q13 the fox affiliate up in uh, seattle where he is the sports director glad we could catch up with aaron levine aaron thanks a bunch stay safe stay healthy stay sane and we'll talk again soon thanks a lot Troy. good stuff thank you with uh, aaron levine and uh his thoughts coming from seattle man the Rose Bowl was coming up on five years ago. Good Lord. Where did the time go? <laughs> but the Washington Huskies are coming off a 24-21 win over Utah. They just sleepwalked in the first half. The Utes looked pretty spry. Then the Huskies' defense led the way to a comeback, and the Utes started to look like a team that, that was just barely had barely prepared uh, for the Huskies and was on the road. David Shaw with his initial thoughts on UW.
1: This past game, they showed unbelievable resilience. Um, they are long. They are athletic. Uh, they've always been good on defense, um, and they're, they're physical up front. Um, you know, Offensively, they will run the ball and take those deep shots. Yeah, they'll take deep shots, but the question is, can they connect? And what I've
0: seen from the Huskies, Dylan Morris has, has left a lot to be desired in that department. I mean, Chase Garbers couldn't connect on downfield passes against Stanford last week, and look what happened there. So if Stanford is able to uh, repeat that kind of performance and prevent Norris from completing downfield passes, like has been a bit of an issue for him so far this year, it seems. That's a check mark in Stanford's favor. Now, watching and paying particular close attention to Washington's game against Utah last week, two guys caught my eye. Tight end K. Doten, he wears number eighty-seven, and outside linebacker Zion Tupuolo Fatui, number fifty-eight. They call him ZTF for obvious reasons. I asked Shaw for his thoughts on both of those guys.
1: ZTF is is a physical, um, athletic son of a gun, man. Um, very, very active. Um, uh, is one of, and it's hard for us, hard for me to say that we have to just account for him. Because they're they're pretty good across the front, um, they're pretty active. Um, they're great with their hands. They get off blocks, um, but yeah, him in particular. You um, know, I, I didn't see their game on TV uh, before, and I saw some of the highlights, and I just said, "Wow." Um, tight end wise, as many of you know, um, Washington has a rich tight end tradition. Uh, a lot of tight ends from the Northwest. Uh, we've been in recruiting battles with Washington for tight ends for years. Um, and uh, you know it, we we got one that's that's in line with a lot of those guys. You know, I played against Mark Bruner, Brunell, and all those Brunner and all those guys, and um, uh, he's right in that tradition. Um, athletic, got good hand-eye coordination, uh, good good body control um, for for a guy his size. He's made some tough catches already this year. So um, yeah, he'll he'll be somebody that we have to account for once again they they like throwing the ball down the field um he's not the only tight end that gets out there too they got a a few guys to get out there so um that's part of their their package both to get physical and run the ball and as well to throw the ball
0: yeah Stanford is tight end you but don't forget some of the great tight ends who have come through UW over the years my god Ernie Conwell that dude was a beast Otten is the team's leading receiver 16 catches. No one else is more than nine. He also leads the squad with three touchdowns. But, but running the ball is, is where the Huskies have done much of their best work so far this year. They got triple trouble at tailback. Sean McGrew, Kamari Pleasant, and Richard Newton. You might remember Newton from last year. Real bruiser. I remember watching him as a freshman last year and going, this, really? This kid's a freshman? Running like that? Holy smokes. Had a good start this season. Newton did, but he did not play last week against Utah because he didn't practice well. Tough way to learn a lesson. But ZTF is the Huskies' best player. Offense, defense, special teams, he's their best player, at least as of right now anyway, through the first three weeks of the season for the Huskies. Seven sacks on the year, three forced fumbles, a fumble recovered, a big one at that last week against Utah, and a pass broken up for good measure. Dude is a terror. Huskies also have cornerback Elijah Molden, one of the better corners, if, so, if not certainly the Pac-12, then maybe perhaps in the western United States, you could even argue maybe in the country. Now, Elijah Molden, you might remember his dad, Alex, All-American cornerback who played for Oregon back in the 90s. That's why Duck fans were mad that Elijah went to UW instead, because he lived in Portland and Pops went to, went to Oregon. Duck fans were so mad that Elijah went to Seattle instead. By the way, um, Andre Kerwin, you remember him? Former Stanford wide receiver. He torched Alex Molden for big plays in back-to-back years against the Ducks. The, game, uh, the game-clinching touchdown in 95 at Eugene, the upset win for Stanford that day, and a 49-yard prayer on 4th and 12 that uh, helped Stanford tie it up and eventually win it against the Ducks in overtime in 96. So Andre Kerwin, uh, Andre Kerwin remembers Alex Molden. Just saying. So the Huskies run the ball. They throw to their tight end, and they play pretty good defense. Calendar might say 2020, but that style of football indicates 1990 for the Washington Huskies. By the way, this is UW's fourth straight home game, by the way. They're they're slated to go to Eugene next week for the first, and as of right now, only time uh, they're slated to uh, go away from Seattle. But their fourth straight home game. (laughs) Meanwhile, Stanford is playing the second of at least three consecutive road games it'll it'll definitely be four because they're not playing that that plus one game on december 19th at uh, at stanford stadium keys to this one for stanford besides the usual get six points instead of three and get off the field on third down more on that in a bit by the way but besides those two usual evergreen keys stanford's linebackers better be ready Outside and inside, they better be ready, man, in run support and in helping cover Cade Otten. I'm gonna be intrigued to see if Lance Anderson gets diabolical and dials up blitzes against a redshirt freshman quarterback who has looked like a redshirt freshman at times. Lance dialed it up on a few occasions last week against Chase Garbers, and it was a beautiful thing to see. Similar things this time around, for Stanford defensively, who knows? No matter what, though, those linebackers, especially the outside guys, they better be ready. They need to eat their Wheaties against Washington this week. And I think the offensive line needs to get it back a bit. I I, I hinted at this a little bit in the uh, tree cast that came just after a big game, but I think the offensive line needs to get it back a little bit. We saw that, we saw the physical running game for a good portion of the second half against the Bears, things that we hadn't seen, since much of the first half against the Oregon Ducks and things we didn't see at all against the Colorado Buffaloes in Week 2, offensive line, I think, needs to get it back a little bit, particularly the tackles. I'd, I'd like to see, I'd like to see uh, Foster Sorrell coming back to his home area and uh, Walter Rouse pick it up a little bit, along with the rest, along with the interior guys as well. So I, th- I think the offensive line, you know, pass protection wasn't its best against the Bears, Pass protection is going to be premium this week, especially with the ZTF lurking on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And now your mind-blowing statistic. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting months to bring this to you. Don't forget the um, Stanford football schedule 2.0 uh, that was released back in July uh, had Stanford opening up. At Washington, the last week of September, before that finally got scuttled um, in mid August. So, I've, I've been waiting months to tell you this. Okay, your mind blowing statistic. Stanford's won two of the last three against the Huskies. That's obviously not the mind blowing statistic, but it sets the context for it. Over those last three meetings in the second half, on third down, Stanford went 14 of 25. The Huskies. On second half, on third down in the second half, the last three years against against Stanford. The Huskies have gone one for eighteen. Explains why Stanford won those two that they won in upset fashion. And maybe could have won that other one after after U got out to a big lead. They couldn't, they couldn't stay on the field in the second half. That opened up the door for Stanford and and led to that that bizarre finish that that Aaron Levine and I talked about and hinted at, that I'm still scratching my head over. It still irritates me a bit. So those are my keys. You've got thoughts. I always welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast by far is the best way to uh, make sure that your thoughts get heard on Stanford football, Stanford athletics on the show. Of course, I always welcome you to uh, subscribe rate and review the program and uh, thank you for, for doing all of those things. One, note that i would like to to wrap up on and uh, was very was very saddened to uh, see this news on on wednesday uh former stanford defensive tackle akum Udofia, uh died on monday in phoenix uh, akum played for played for the cardinal from 2005 to 2009 i won't get into details of of his death here uh, you can find them if you if you'd like but it sounds like he may have been going through some things. And seeing those details is just a stark reminder. If you need help, if you need help, reach out. Reach out. There, there's somebody out there who can help you. There's somebody out there. And probably something I need to do a, a bit more often, but, but check on folks, make sure that they're, make sure they're doing okay. This, I don't need to tell you what kind of year this has been and what could possibly be ahead in the, in the next couple months or so. But just check on folks, reach out. And if you yourself need help, reach out. Our special thanks to our special guest for this week's episode of the TreeCast, Aaron Levine from Q13, up in Seattle, class of 2004. Dream Job on ESPN. Remember that show? Aaron, of course, was a big part of that. Really glad that uh, Aaron could uh, break it down with us here on the show. Enjoyed that conversation. As always, the biggest thanks goes out to you for being with us here on the program. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Just as dumb as the person who still doesn't wear a mask now. Mask it or casket. Now more than ever. Stay safe. Stay healthy, stay sane, and we will come at you on Sunday with a breakdown of what we see between the Cardinal and the Huskies. Stanford, by the way, 43, This series record, by the way, 43-43-4. Who gets a leg up? We'll talk about that and everything else from this game on Sunday. Until then, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Troy Clarity, and this is the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.